Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Jesus name. And everybody says amen. Glory to God. All right. Today we are talking about the spirit of Pentecost. Yet again, um, I truly, 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 sincerely hope that um, this will be short so that we can pray. I want us to pray. Um, Okay. So I, I was going to say, start by saying that the person of the Holy Spirit is consistent from the birth of the church to this very moment is consistent and sovereign in the church through his gifts and his calling upon the lives of people. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is consistent, is sovereign, is consistent, is sovereign in his gifting and in, and his calling upon the lives of people from the very day of Pentecost, from the birth of the church, as I like to say, to this very moment. Now, the error of certain people is to think that this person of the Holy Spirit, they can cause him to do their bidding by engineering his moves among men. Another error when it comes to relating with the Holy Spirit so remember, I said the first error when it comes to relating with the Holy Spirit is to think that we can cause him to do our bidding by engineering his moves and engineering stuff, you know. And what I mean by engineering is that we want to replicate what we see in the book of Acts and maybe even do more than the book of Acts. And so we create atmospheres for such things to happen, um, psychosomatic responses and all the weird things. So yes, we can, we can find ourselves in that kind of error, right? Um, I can tell this guy to play strings for me. If he gives me strings and I, I speak in a certain tone, let me give you an, give me strings. The person of the Holy Spirit. So it's only a matter of creating an atmosphere and hoping that the Holy Spirit will do my beatings so that when I off my shirt and I throw it at you, you will not, you cannot but fall. Hallelujah. But another set of people, their own error is as the error of those who rejected Jesus in his hometown. They know the Holy Spirit is almighty. They know he is God, right? They know he is powerful. Yes, because many others have misrepresented him. They reject his work in the church. But no matter how people feel about the Holy Spirit in either of the extremes, the Holy Spirit is consistent. 
is constant. Who is revealed to be in scripture is who he is, regardless of the extremes. Hallelujah. He is true to his nature. He is true to his work in our midst. Praise God. And if we see it in God's word, we will embrace it. We will desire it. Amen. What's the text of this sermon again? Okay. Did you increase the strings? Reduce it. Because I can feel... <laughs> so let's learn a bit about this person, this member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Just us to put that out there. John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17. John chapter 14, the Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17. The Bible says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Praise the Lord. So, what we learn, what we see from this scripture that Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit finally comes, or when he finally came, comes, anyone? Same thing. When the Holy Spirit finally comes, he will indwell men. Praise God. He will indwell men. Now we see evidence of that or um, corroboration in places like Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, the Bible says that after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Praise God. So after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, of course, here already tells us that the Holy Spirit is the agent, permits me to say, the Holy Spirit is the agent of the new birth, right? He indwells us at salvation. Praise God. So we also see corroboration of that in John chapter 3. Um, John chapter 3 and verse... 7 and 8. John 3, 7 and 8. The Bible says, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of what? Born of the Spirit. So to be born again is to be what? To be born of the Spirit. Praise God. So Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is coming and first lesson we learn is that it will indwell men. He is the agent of the new birth. Okay? Unfortunately, that is the limit to which many know the Holy Spirit. It is, it is not a limit. That thing, the new birth, is not a limit. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that's how far people know the Holy Spirit. They know him only as the agent of the new birth. And they may proclaim with their mouth, um, the other things are about that we are about to see from God's word, but as far as they, as far as their walk with God is concerned, they'd rather know Him as 
the Savior or um, the one who indwells us rather than any other thing. Do you get? Okay, now let's go to chapter 15 of John. We'll read verse 26 to 27. John 15, 26 to 27. It says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So we see here that the apostles, because he was talking to his apostles, right? And the apostles... Um, the apostles' responsibility is to testify of Jesus. Right? It says that you also must testify. So the apostles are to testify of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his glorification. Praise God. The apostles will testify of Jesus. But we also see, guess what? The Holy Spirit will testify of Jesus. And we see an example of how the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. It says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? So we see here, confirmed to us by those who heard him, is already fulfilling what Jesus said, that they have a responsibility to bear witness of him, to testify of him, right? This also tells us why the apostles are um we must pay attention to apostolic doctrine right where apostolic doctrine is the is the foundation on which the church is built right because the bible says that how oh, shall we escape from the neglect of great salvation which at first began to be spoken by the lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him now says god also bearing witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the holy spirit according to his view, fulfilling the second part of what Jesus said in John, where he said that the Holy Spirit, he will testify of me, right? And he also says that you also will testify of me. Of course, um, what we can learn, which, I mean, we'll still see later on when we get into the book of Acts, is that it is not, they are not separate things. They are not meant to be separate, right? It is one thing where the disciples will bear witness of Jesus because they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Whew. Okay, it looks like I'm making fast progress. Now let's look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. The part one of the book of Acts. Luke 24, verse 45. We read 45 to 49. It says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So, first off, we see, again, that they are responsible to witness. And it says that I am going to send you 
was my father as promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high praise the lord so what was the promise of the father here what do we see what did the father promise okay and yeah, noted so <laughs> based off everything i've been explaining so far right because he's looking like <laughs> all right so we know the promise of the father is the holy spirit already from john chapter 14 we see that um the promise is that the holy spirit will come okay of course if you are doubting what the promise of the father is i wasn't going to read this but let me just read this acts chapter 2 verse 38 to 39 acts chapter 2 verse 38 to 39 i remember having a conversation on social media with someone on this particular scripture um I hope this was a conversation. Okay, Acts chapter 2, 38 to 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Question one. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? What is it talking about? The Holy Spirit as a gift he is the gift. Great. So um, there's a way that that's and that's that's the problem, right? Um, when we are hyper charismatic, it is easy to see hyper charismaticism in the Bible. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Anything you want to see, you can see. You can just manufacture it and you will see it, right? So if we call the charismatics the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's easy for you to just look at this place when. Um, Peter says that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit that was um, easily noticed was speaking in tongues, right? So you will think that he's saying that repent, every one of you in the name of Jesus that your sins may be forgiven and you will be able to speak in tongues do you get? So of course, that's not what he's saying what that scripture is saying the word gift there let's do it <laughs> No, they cannot beat me. The word glory there is Doria. It's different. The word gift, I mean, is Doria instead of charisma, right? And Doria speaks of the nature, um, the, 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 um, the way the gift is given, right? So it speaks of how that the gift is given freely, right? Um, charisma, on the other hand, there are many things that we can talk about it, but I don't know Greek. Well, I know small. Um, I shall know Strong's definition. So Strong's definition, Doria, is different from charisma. Do you understand? Now he's saying that I will give the give you the Holy Spirit freely as a gift. That's what he's saying. That's what Doria is, right? The way it is given. It is given as a gift. It is given freely. All right. So it says that, um, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. I know that some people are excited to see this scripture, but so you will see again because I mean we are trying to establish what the promise of the Father is, right? I'll say that the promise of the Father here is what the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay, which is promised to us and to our children and to everyone who is a part of everyone whom the Lord will call. All right, great. Um, let's look at one more promise one more place 
just to establish that. So, so far, what have we learned about the Holy Spirit? Number one is that he is the agent of the new birth, right? He indwells us at salvation. Number two is that um, he bears witness to Jesus Christ, right? So, um, is the agent of witness. <laughs> All right, so John chapter 7. I'm surprised I'm calm today. Why am I calm? <laughs> John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. 37. John 7, 37. Are you looking for John 27? All right, I'm kidding. Verse 37 says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirits whom those who believe in him were later, later to receive. Up to the time, up to that time, the spirits had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, so um, Peter was telling them in Acts chapter 2 that now that Jesus has been glorified, the Holy Spirit has been released. All right. So far, we have seen that the promise of the Holy, of the promise of the Father is the Spirit, right? Now, Peter is now telling them that this promise is for all of you. It's for Odua. It's for all of you. All right. This promise is for all of you. Okay. So he also shows us this is just for um, for pe- this is just for people who have some minor questions. For example, I think that I think this guy has asked me a question. Maybe like last year or two years ago, um, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're asking that, um, are we saying that Acts chapter 2 was the first time when they received the Holy Spirit? Yes, that's what we are saying. We are saying that, and we can confidently say it because the Bible said that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And when Peter was explaining what was happening in Acts chapter 2, he was telling them that it is the outpouring of the Spirit. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, okay? And then later on, he told them that repent, be baptized, and you will receive what we have received also. What did he call what they have received? The Holy Spirit, okay? So beforehand, they did not have the Holy Spirit, all right? They had the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Praise God. Now, people may not have other deeper questions. So you're not saying they were not born again before the day of Pentecost. I don't know why that is the problem. <laughs> I try to, I try to see why it's the problem. I don't know why it's not a problem. You are not born again before, before. So, like, why is that space between his resurrection and Pentecost now a problem? You are not born again before. You are born again when the spirits came, and we, Jesus has told us that when the spirits came, comes it will indwell, right, and he will also witness. So, kilo limba. But is it clear? Do you see how clear it is? Very clear. So, um, I, I usually say this, that if you read the Bible sincerely, honestly, like just carry the Bible, you will be, you won't be close to error. You know, um, we have people who were not as educated as we are, who didn't have access to materials as we, we have, but they were just reading it as it is, Right? reading it as a whole and they were saying that oh this is what the bible teaches so you have to be born again um, when you believe the gospel you receive the holy spirit 
if you do this, this will happen. This is the sequence to this, 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 and this. Do you get? So I, 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 I like to say that it takes a teacher to lead you into error. Right? You need you need someone to lead you into error. Because if you actually look at it and you are not you don't have ulterior motives, right? You don't want to you don't want to use it to enslave people. You don't use the word of God to enslave people. You don't use the word of God to manipulate people. You don't have ulterior motives. You sincerely want to know the Lord. I don't think you will fall into error. Right? I think someone said that on Twitter very recently, um, a big emoji. And I think someone was asking him uh, materials to read. Um, and that do you need to know a lot of Greek and stuff to know the Bible? And the person said, no, if you read the Bible, you sincerely read the Bible, you'll be very close to the original intention of the writers, right? Because this Bible, at least the ones that we trust, it wasn't one man that sat down to write them. Do you understand? People sat down, scholars, people that know Greek more than us, people that know Hebrew more than us. In fact, they know Hebrew, so they, we cannot know what they know. I don't, we cannot know, right? So those people are the ones that translated all those manuscripts to give us this. So if you stick to this in all sincerity and honesty, you will be fine. You will be fine. The funny thing is that, um, let me tell you a background story. While growing up, when I was in secondary school, I used to have this small Gideon's Bible that was always in my pocket. Like anybody who knew me in secondary school, um, who knew me closely, knew that there was always a Gideon's Bible in my pocket. And I didn't even know Greek. I didn't know anything like that. I just knew that I'll carry my Gideon's Bible and I'll read it and I'll close it. Break time, bring it out, read, close, mark. So I marked it so they, um, when it's looking old, I'll go and get another Gideon's Bible. I'll transfer the markings in the previous one into the old one. Now, as I was started growing in the faith, right, and learning more and having more access to, having access to more materials, I began to see that the things that I had read by myself are the same things that other people who wrote those materials are saying. Do you get? For example, when I first thought here about the baptism of the Spirit being salvation, I'd been thinking about that since my early days in UI. But everybody around me said that no, baptism of the Holy Spirit is tongues. So I had to submit to them and say, okay, anything you say. But one day, I heard another minister preaching the Bible like a normal person, right? And he said exactly what I'd always been saying, right? That this gift of the Spirit here is the Holy Spirit himself and it is not tongues and all of that do you get so my point is that if a person will deliberately sit down with his bible and read it you will be fine you will actually be fine right many people come after service and i understand i understand the, the rationale right i understand that um, when you hear us argue among ourselves you hear a lot of uh, hedonism baratism um, baraga and stuff Buddhism. <laughs> now, you hear a lot of that, and in your mind, you're like, ah, I need to know this Bible. It's not Bible. Buddhism is not in the Bible. Naism is not. Do you get? Um, in all honesty, what I usually tell them is 
something this guy did that I saw him do um, when he came to when he first came to Lagos as a newbie. I remember I saw one of his books and he listed out topics he wanted to study on atonement, justification, the Holy Spirit. So he listed it all out, right? And then he studied on them. So that's what I usually tell people. I also know Bible, list out the topics, right? And study each one. You can go through that approach. You can go through the approach of um, book by book study, right? You can take book of Acts, read it, digest it, eat the book, right? You can, <laughs> you can, you can take any book from the Bible and eat it up. Do you understand? I said all of that because of where we stopped about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Okay, so let's make progress. Um, now, let's go to Acts chapter 1, where the meat of the whole thing is. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. The Bible says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. What's the gift the father promised? Good. Which you have heard me speak about. Now, Shebi, you said that the gift that the father promised is the Holy Spirit. Now look at how Jesus described how the Holy Spirit will be given. It says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The giving of the Holy Spirit. Do you get? Um, it is not a separate experience from when you are saved. When you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Right? We quoted um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. I didn't manufacture it, right? Ephesians 1 13 says that, And you, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after you believed, what happened to you? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, the promise of the Father has come to you, right? And what did Jesus call the promise of the Father? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive what? You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I, I like it. The Bible is consistent, right? The Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit and says that the, the Holy Spirit um, will witness to Jesus, witness, bear witness about Jesus, right? So we see that same thing here, Jesus is saying it to them. He's saying that you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be a witness. So basically, it means that they will be a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Permission to use another Greek word. So the word power is the word dunamis. Now, according to Strong's Dictionary, and I think they are also, they tell us that the word dunamis means um, like a kind of, I don't talk like something, energy, like kind of force, impactful force, that kind of thing, right? But another um, definition, I think it was Thayer that gave that other definition, is ability. And in all honesty, I prefer to think of the power of God as God's ability. And it says that, and you shall receive 
power. You shall receive ability by God and you will bear witness. Maybe if you read this that way, maybe all your walls, all the walls that hypercharismatism has built will begin to relax, will begin to calm down. Because now you are seeing that the Holy Spirit indwells you and he also enables you. Do you see? The Holy Spirit indwells you and he enables you. Don't overthink it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will begin to levitate. Calm down. He will enable you. He will enable you. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the new birth and he's also the one who empowers God's people. Now, I know that this way it gets more interesting, right? There's a way that you can read this and you can just limit it to a set of people and say that, I mean, so far, what we've been reading is that Jesus was talking to his disciples, aka his apostles, right? And he gets here and he was still talking to them at some point and he told them that um, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be a witness of me in Jerusalem. But the interesting part of this narrative is that from the book of Acts, we can see that the Holy Spirit was also enabling the church, right? Not just the apostles. It was also enabling the church. Now, in Acts chapter 1, we see, in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, we see that there were not 12 people in the upper room, but 120 people in the upper room. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon all of them. All of them spoke with tongues, all of them saw visions. All of them heard a sound from heaven. Praise God. Because said they appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire. So they saw cloven tongues of fire. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Right? There's, there's a tendency, right? Again, remember what I said at the beginning about this other extreme where because of the abuse of the um, gifts of the Spirit, we, Kukuma just shuts it down. I've heard people explain um, sound of a mighty rushing wind away, right? And say that the sound of a mighty rushing wind was the sound of them praying in tongues, right? So, brothers and sisters, they heard sound of a mighty rushing wind. Am I saying that you hear sound of mighty rushing winds? I don't know. It's not in my place. I am not the giver of the gifts, right? Am I saying that you're going to see cloven tongues of fire? It's not in my place either, right? Because he gives it according to his will. Praise God. But one thing we can see for sure is this, that the Holy Spirit enables God's people. Hallelujah. So we saw that um, this experience happened to all of them, all 120 people, right? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And what was the fruit of that moment? What was the fruit of Pentecost? I like to say that the fruit of Pentecost was the life of the church, as recorded in the book of Acts, where people were witnessing and the Holy Spirit was witnessing through them. Praise God. People were witnessing by the ability of the Holy Spirit. So, if, for example, we see the deacons in Acts chapter 6. They were not um, part of the 12. And there's no evidence that they were part of those who were in the upper room. So, is that they were part of those who were in the upper room or part of um, 5,000 that got saved or maybe other people that got saved along the way, right? We don't even know the timeline between Acts chapter 2 
and Acts chapter 6. But we know that there were issues in the church, right? Um, issues that were pertaining to serving food and all of that. And the apostles said, um, choose among yourselves seven men full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is also, um, I don't want to go into it, but it's also a lesson on, on church governance, right? That deacons um, are not people that you just dash tied to, that uh, because they've been faithful in church, they've been coming consistently. The first qualification for a deacon that we saw in the scriptures is full of the spirits and full of wisdom. Further down the line, we saw that they must be able to teach. Praise God. So, okay, I'll leave it. So, a deacon is what you know me as. Because they are assisting the elder of the church, that kind of thing. So, under normal circumstances, you can say, deacon, share here. Do you get <laughs> Don't call me deacon, share here. <laughs> you will collect. <laughs> but I'm, I'm kidding, right? But I'm not kidding with what I'm saying about the deacon, diaconates, okay? Deacons are not, um, diaconates is not, is not a title you give to compensate people for attending church for long. The first thing we see is that they, they are full of the spirit and full of wisdom, right? And down the line, we see that they are actually leaders in the church. They are leaders in the church so that the elder can focus on the word and prayer, right? The diaconates also teach. They also shepherd the church and also tends to the administrative things like serving tables, as the scripture said. Do you understand that? Okay. So, Pastor Sam, wherever you are, I have watered the ground for you. Let us continue. <laughs> in a joke. I'll be in, in a joke. <laughs> All right. So, we see the deacons in Acts chapter 6. They were not the apostles. They were people that were Christians like every other person else, who, of course, most likely, they could see, um, see a, a trend of being committed to the Lord, giving themselves to the Lord, right? So people could recognize them. Because being full of the Spirit and full of wisdom is not by falling down, right? So it's not as if people saw them. People always, they were the ones that were always falling down in church, right? Is that people had seen a consistent lifestyle and they said, ah, OJ is full of the Spirit. Do you understand? So that means that being full of the Spirit and full of wisdom is something that can be recognized in a person's lifestyle, right? And say, ah, Brother GD, Brother GD is full of the Spirit, though. He's full of wisdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they saw these guys, these seven guys, and picked them and said, these ones will be our deacons. Right? And the Bible tells us, I think we should read this in Acts chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. I feel like I said a lot of things, but if you are taking notes, you can hold all of them, right? Um, if you are not taking notes, just remember the key things I said about the Holy Spirit indwelling, enabling to be a witness, right? Okay. Acts 6, 6 to 7. It says, so after the deacons had been chosen, in verse 6, it says, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. 
one of these days i think we should talk about laying on of hands as seen in the scriptures so the word of god spread the number of disciples in jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith so we see um i'm not saying that this is a direct um result of the appointment of the deacons but we saw that after the deacons were chosen these people who were christians there was more effectiveness in the church right there was more effectiveness in the running of the church and in the witnessing of the church outside okay now special mention among the deacons were stephen right stephen had the testimony that he was full of grace and power and he was working great wonders among the people um we also had someone like philip right who had the testimony of preaching in samaria with accompanying signs and wonders we had people like philip's daughters who the bible says that were they prophesied right we had agabus the prophet we had brother ananias that ministered to apostle paul and so on and so forth and what we see in the church in the book of acts we see a vibrant church full of the spirits full of wisdom full of power we saw ordinary people empowered by the spirit of god to bear witness to the resurrection of jesus that's what we saw by this same holy spirit remember what i said at the beginning he is consistent he is consistent this same holy spirit by this same holy spirit right was the gospel preached in much power all right um if power is stopping you because of maybe the way um says it right know that we, i am saying that in the early in the first century we were seeing ordinary people empowered by the holy spirit ordinary people enabled by the holy spirit ordinary people regular people enabled by the holy spirit and so as people who have received the same call to bear witness to the resurrection of jesus we must be people who desire a christianity that is not lethargic but one that is actually living and vibrant a christianity where the spirit moves among us and through us to the world we must desire a church that is full of faith that is full of wisdom that is full of power now i'm not talking about a move of god that is engineered right um, engineered by creating atmospheres or like i call it psychosomatic responses that's not what i'm saying but i'm saying that like disciples like the disciples we can actually desire we can actually desire the reason why i'm saying that you can desire is because you can also shut this down the bible actually teaches us that for example i think that was first Thessalonians chapter 5 right where it says that you can quench the spirits can quench the spirits so it's very possible that there is a generation can rise up that quenches the spirits very possible very possible that while we can have works of you know the enabling of god in our churches the enabling of god in our bearing witnesses where we don't have to when we don't depend on strategies again where we are not sitting down and doing board meeting on how to preach, um, how to get money for projects, how to um, advertise, how to do PR, right, and all of those things. 
how that we can sincerely trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to reach God's people. Am I, am I saying PR is bad? It's not bad in itself. Do you know why? Because on a base level, right, we, we should make use of the tools that are available to us in propagating the gospel. So, for example, uh, we use social media in our church, right? That's some public relation something on some level. Do you get? But um, it is not our dependence. We don't depend on social media to reach the world, right? Our dependence is the preaching of the gospel. Do you understand that? Now, where you know that there is a problem is when we sit down to have a meeting on how we can hire skits makers, how we can hire um, jokers and clowns, right, to do stuff for us so that we can have more reach, how we can um, come up with a show in church so that we can have more reach, right? That's not what I'm talking about. When we hear, in a, we are in a generation where you hear vibrant church and what you are hearing is a church that is hippie, right? Um, a church that is for youths, right? But what I am talking about is a church as of old. And this old is not even long ago. It's not, it's not just something that was happening in the first 100 years. But we're seeing churches where um, our ministers will preach and we honor their word so much that somehow, we may not be able to explain it, but somehow in their preaching, there are prophecies. There are words that meet our very needs, meet us at the very point of our needs, right? Somehow, in the gathering of the saints, as we pray and we fast and we wait upon the Lord, we see healings in our midst and we also see healings happening through us. Not because we are trying to manufacture it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, like, we are actually fine if the Lord does not heal, right? But we desire to see the Lord do that among us. We desire that if it is a provision of God, we want to be partakers of it. Do you get? God help us. So I was saying that you must desire Christianity where the Spirit moves among us and through us to the world. And like the disciples, we we should desire it, actually. We should pray for it. One of the ways to express desire is to pray. And we see an example of that in the Bible. So look at Acts chapter 4, for example. Acts chapter 4. You know, I'm a charismatic through and through, right? Born, bred, seeing the power of God in expression. Um, among people that have nothing to gain, by faking it. Because I was raised in a proper Pentecostal church in a very rural area where you have nothing to gain. The pastor does not have money. Sometimes the pastor will have a car. Someone will give him a car and he will sell it so that he can take care of the people that are living in the church. Do you understand? So, pastors had cars and they have sold all of them to take care of people in the church. He's the daddy of the church. Do you understand that? So he has nothing to gain by Doing like this. Of course, we have first hand experiences, but I'm not one to talk about first hand experiences. But my point is that these things are not just 
first 100 years, it is always the heritage of believers who desire it, who desire that the Lord will walk among them. The reason I'm saying that I'm putting some level of responsibility on the believers is because the Bible teaches us that the believers can quench it. In, on two occasions, we saw believers quenching the move of the, the move of the spirits in that sense. So, a good example, like First Thessalonians, that we quoted, right? Another example was when Jesus went to his hometown. The Bible said he could not do any mighty works because um, the people were offended at him. Of course, it wasn't that they stopped his power from moving. It wasn't like Jesus was not sovereign and that he needed their yes to do a miracle. If you are offended at someone, let's be practical. I have miraculous powers to heal the sick. You are not feeling fine, but you are angry with me because I'm the son of a carpenter and because you've known me since I was young. And I this one that feels he can be talking to us anyhow and be forming that can lay hands on us. You won't come and meet me. That translates into me not being able to do any mighty work in your life because you did not come to meet me, right? So in his hometown, they didn't bring their sick to him. So Jesus could do no mighty works. Do you get? In the same way, that means that in quenching the spirit, it simply means that when words of prophecy wants to come, we don't want to hear. So it does not mean that the prophecy cannot come. It just means that we don't want to hear. Do you get? That's what it means to quench him. So, but what do we see? What was the example we saw in the disciples? In Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 31, the Bible says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, when you think about the power of God, don't just think about miracles. Think about what the Bible says about these deacons, full of faith, full of wisdom. That means that a church that's a church where there is the move of the spirits is a church full of wisdom. Is a church full of faith. Before you start thinking wizu-wazu things, before you start thinking it's a church full of visions, right? That is possible. And we are not denying that. I'm just saying that don't, don't be too fixated on the very spectacular things that you forget that there's, there's such beauty in a church that with members that are walking in wisdom. There is such beauty in a church with members that are bold because disciples were praying that the Lord will grant them great boldness. You're now, now going to say that stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So we see that the disciples actually desired it. But also they went back to their own company and they prayed. And they prayed that the Lord would grant them great boldness. Now, maybe because of the extremes of hypercharismatics, all you prefer to pray about is great boldness. You are more comfortable with that one, right? But you are not comfortable with praying that the Lord will stretch his hand and heal at the name of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? You can desire. Paul in his letters actually encourages 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. He says you should earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. You should earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He says that the gifts of the Spirit are given for the good of everyone. 
it's for the common good. So if you think of it that way, you will desire it. If you think of it that way, that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to all, to one, to profit with all, right? The manifestation of the Spirit is given to one. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. You can write it down. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to one for the common good. If you think about it that way, you will desire that the Lord will move in our midst. Because if there is healing in our midst, that means that people can get healed, right? Of course, I mean, because of our context, we, are, we also still have people that ask questions about what if people don't get healed. That's not the emphasis of this teaching, right? The emphasis is that God is willing to heal. God is willing to speak to us through prophecies. God is willing to give us discernment by the Spirit of God. God is willing to give us teaching abilities and giftings in our gathering. God is willing to give us gifts of mercy and governments. God is willing. The Bible says that you should earnestly desire. You know, while studying this thing, I realized that maybe, maybe, maybe when Paul said as earnestly desire the best gifts, he wasn't saying that you should, you should pick, cherry pick the ones you want. I'll tell you what I mean. So, when we say that we should desire the gifts of the Spirit, we will be tempted to separate the gifts from the giver. Right? I believe that the injunction to desire the gifts of the Spirit is an injunction to desire that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will move among us. The injunction to desire the gifts of the Spirit, I think it is the injunction to desire that the Lord will move among us through his abilities. Perhaps if you see it that way, when the Bible says that you should earnestly desire the best gift, maybe, maybe, I may be wrong, maybe it is not saying that you should cherry pick your favorites. Maybe it is saying that you should earnestly desire that the gifts needed for us, right, the gifts that will most profit us, that the Lord should supply it among us. Does that make sense? That's we can actually desire. So, we are not people who are chasing after prophecy. We are not people who are chasing after miracles. We are people who are chasing and desiring that the Lord will bless his church with the gifts that we need, that we will profit without. Does that make sense? Earnestly desire. Earnestly desire. The same spirit that was poured out at Pentecost is the same spirit that indwells us today. Is the agent of our birth into the family of God. And also, he is the one who enables us to bear witness of the resurrection of Jesus. God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, various miracles and gifts of the Spirit according to his will. You know the reason why you cannot cherry pick? is because he said it goes according to his will. So you cannot say that, oh, I earnestly desire um, discerning of spirits or prophecy or miracles. I don't think so for now, Sha. If, I'm, if I find out that I'm saying Mago Mago, I will come and tell you. Right? Just look out on the group. Once I drop an emoji that is doing like this, doesn't that I notice certain magumagos? But right now, as far as I, as I can think of, right, um, what I am seeing is that if the Lord, I know that I know what is going through somebody's mind right now. 
I won't say it. So it will not corrupt other minds, other holy minds. So <laughs> I will tell you what I think is going through your mind after service. <laughs> but so what, what I'm saying is that we should be a church that desires that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will move among us. That within ourselves, in our gatherings, right? The gifts of the Spirit will profit with all. And that through us as a unit, as a unit, as a body, through us, we can bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus through the abilities of the Spirit. Praise God. It's not, again, my emphasis here, I'm emphasizing now that it is not something we are trying to force to happen. But it's not something we are shutting down. It's something we are desiring. I know that you, you have been offended, you have been hurt by people who came claims to have prophecies, right? And all they had to tell you was you will do ministry, right? Or you are hurt by people that every time they have prophecies, and it's not just you, every time they have prophecy for anybody, they are saying the same thing for everybody, right? And you are like, ah, this thing is giving scam. This thing is not, it's not giving, Right? Or you've seen people who have claimed to do miracles and then later they were exposed and you saw that they were actually hiring people from the streets to come and be actors, right? You have seen people who claim to have words of knowledge and they were memorizing people's plate numbers before service started and collecting phone numbers from the ushers or from the team that has stuff. You may have seen all those things and you are offended and so you have rejected the move of the Spirit, right? But if your perspective is that the same spirit in the book of Acts is the same spirit that dwells with us now, maybe you can dare to open up your heart again. Maybe you can dare to open up your heart again. Same spirit though. Same spirit. Walking through ordinary men. You know? We can see a church, we can desire a church where apart from spectacular things, we are seeing evidence of the new birth, evidence of regeneration in people's lives, right? We are seeing us being examples of the believer in our conduct, in love, in, um, in our conversations, and all of those things. We are seeing all of those things at work in us. That is the enabling of the spirits. That is the enabling of the spirits. Praise God. You can desire it. You know, one of the things I have noticed in people who have told me, or who have said that, you know, they don't believe in all these um, charismatic gifts and stuff, is that usually when, the, when it comes to it, um, maybe someone is sick or they are sick, they tend to reject you praying for them. It is not different from the, um, the guys in Jesus' hometown who were offended at him, right? Maybe because they are also offended by previous experiences. It's not different. It's not different um, from, you know, quenching the spirits and all of that. Um, I, I remember I asked a friend one time when um, he did not, like, believe in all this stuff. So this guy told me then 
that um, so I asked him that so ah, what if your younger brother is sick right he's very sick you won't pray for him you, you won't lay hands and pray for him he said I'll not pray for him I will buy, will buy drug <laughs> and I understand that it's because he has been offended in the past right people have done nonsense in his presence who have done rubbish so definitely it's understandable but it doesn't change the fact it doesn't change the fact that the same spirit that indwells us and enables us to bear witness or that enables them to bear witness the same spirit that is here today your sons and daughters will prophesy not just the apostles not just those who had been with Jesus this promise is for you and for your children and for everyone afar off whom the Lord will call. And this promise is not, you cannot separate this into segments. You cannot say that, you cannot separate the Holy Spirit from his ability. Do you get? If the promise of the Holy Spirit is for all of us, the promise of the ability is for all of us. Amen. So don't shut this down. Earnestly desire. Another error you can enter, which I've said earlier, is to cherry pick the one you want. That's why people will force themselves to prophesy, right? And all they will prophet lie will be, you will do ministry. And you look at it and say, hmm, you will do ministry. It's the same thing with tongues and interpretation, right? When they will say that you should interpret tongues and they force everybody to interpret tongues. Now, when they force everybody to interpret tongues, what do you expect to happen? Everybody will say the same thing, right? Everybody will say the same thing. But you can trust God. Again, look at the difference. So, hmm. I knew that something was off. So look at the difference, right? If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, the Bible actually says that we should pray. If you, pray, if you speak with tongues, pray that you may interpret, right? So you can actually trust God, right? But you, you are not engineering it. Do you understand? You are not engineering it. You are not forcing people to give interpretation. You say, speak it, speak it, speak it. It's coming, it's coming. Speak it. They will say rubbish. Say the rubbish that is in your head. They will say rubbish. Hmm? They will say rubbish. But you can desire. You can desire. You can trust the Lord to do a work in our church, to do a work in his body. You can trust the Holy Spirit to move among us. Praise God. So in summary, Oh, yeah. The apostle says, don't quench, don't despise. Instead, earnestly desire. Again, don't, don't let your view of what I'm talking about, about the move of the Spirit, a vibrant church, a church that is alive, that is not lethargic, that is not dead, right? Don't allow what I'm saying be interpreted in your mind as only miracles. Remember, it is the ability that the Spirit gives that we may bear witness. Another perspective we see in 1 Corinthians 12 is that the Spirit gives abilities so that it could profit us, right? So it could profit the church, it could benefit the church, right? So there is that about giftings, there is that about the miraculous, but there are also the other things that we can yearn for and desire that the Lord will work in our midst, right? 
when the Lord is working in our midst and we are not rejecting what he is doing in our midst, we will see, I believe that we will see more moves of the miraculous. I believe that we will see more utterances, more utterances inspired by the Spirit, not engineered, not forced. I believe that we will see more utterances that we will not even be the ones saying that I want to prophesy. It will be that pastor is preaching and as he's communicating the word of God to us, he is meeting specific needs. Right? He doesn't have to actually stand up and say, I, I want to prophesy. And I'm not saying that you can't do that also, but I'm just saying that he doesn't have to be. Right? Um, we just see that by the move of the Spirit in our midst, like our conducts are better. Um, there is more zeal. There is more fire. There is more passion in our hearts for the gospel. There is more boldness that these guys prayed for in Acts chapter 4. Where they prayed for boldness. And after they prayed, the Bible said they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So one of the evidences of the fullness of the Spirit in a place is boldness. And we can see more of us being bold to preach the gospel. It is the ability of the Spirit. The boldness to preach the gospel. Or while preaching the gospel, people get healed by the ability of the Spirit. Not unto us, O oh Lord, not unto us, but unto Him. We owe the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you. Yeah.